Hey, perfect timing, babe. Glad you're home. Me too. I'm really hungry. What's that amazing smell? Ah, uh, it's a special dish. I've got a new recipe. This dish is a fried fish and okra. Okra? Are you kidding me? I haven't had okra since my grandmother made it. I think you're going to really enjoy this. And you really are going to want to hear the story that Tunde Wei told me. We had a lot of things in common and we chatted about so many things related to food and identity and authenticity. That sounds fantastic. And I'm really hungry. So please uh, keep that cooking going because I want to eat really soon. Okay, okay. Come back. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. I promise. You're listening to Be There, Do That, the podcast featuring everyday stories about food, race, and social impact in Africa. Nigerian-born Tunde Wei describes himself as an artist, chef, and writer who uses food and dining spaces to interrogate structures of race and power. Featured in Vogue, GQ, The Washington Post, and Bon Appetit magazine, among many others, an undocumented immigrant until recently, Tunde and I chatted about home, displacement, and his philosophy behind fried fish and okra. Yeah, we're all on our own individual journeys and we, you know, our our destinies or our fates is what we make of it and what happens. Yeah. Anyway, I'm getting philosophical, but yeah, that leaving home does something to you and part of what it does it it makes you realize that home is important yeah I think I would agree Uh, and I like what you said also that it teaches you about yourself my journey being one of uh, the opposite of yours a mirror in fact being on the continent for Mm. the past 20 years has taught me that there is so much as an African American still to learn about the authenticity of diaspora and particularly the value that is on offer. Basically, I just really uh, am excited to chat with you to get a sense of the differences and the comparison in our experience. I mean, you have gone from a continental African experience into an African-American experience, and I've done just the opposite. Wow, that is amazing. I finished high school um, in Nigeria when I was like 15 and then I spent a year at home after high school and sort of like figuring out where I was going to go for university. My mom has a sister who at the time lived in Detroit and so I think there had always been some sort of notion or at least the possibility that we would leave the country for university. Yeah, so my parents decided, well, actually, my father put to us the choice of either staying in Nigeria for university or leaving. And obviously, we chose to leave because we were 16 or 15 and we wanted to see something else. And the choice was, choice didn't seem like a choice. It seemed stacked in favor of going elsewhere because everything that we consumed that we thought was important and 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 valuable came from you know the west our yeah. films our music our clothes everything that we thought was inferior came from where we were from so i guess that was the beginning of the move it started from uh, a lack of appreciation for what we had we moved to the united states for school that's what it was that's how i came to detroit i think that 
there seems to be this like consistent trajectory for for certain kinds of people at least the people who are whose work and life i appreciate right they have to leave where they are from to understand who they are and i'm thinking about people like say fella or like franz fanon and there's something about that about traveling away to make you realize that one thing you can never leave yourself yeah you know and you carry yourself with you and the other thing is that where you're from is is valuable and there's so much so much there you know you actually have given a really great point of departure for comparison so tell me if i told you Fela's coming to dinner. What would you make in Detroit <laughs> for Fela Kuti? What would I make for? I love that. What would I make for Fela Kuti in Detroit? You know, and I hope you're satisfied with this answer. But I think of like for me, I separate food from from purpose, right? In my work, the food serves as an opportunity to get at the purpose of, of what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And so if Fela was coming to Detroit and I was cooking for him, the purpose of that dinner wouldn't be to feed him, but it would be to get fed by him, to like learn stuff from him, to ask him questions, to understand how it seemed he had been able to just distill himself into his most purest and most pointed form to be able to make the kind of music that he did. Nah, yeah. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I think you would give it a little more thought than that from the, again, the little I know about you. Let's say it would be I would say from a Lagosian and a Detroit resident. Definitely okra. There would be some okra. You know what <laughs> You know what's funny is so a couple of things about me. I don't cook very often. I usually only cook um for my dinners and my dinners happen like once every couple of months yeah. right so the last time i cooked was like a month and a half ago and i don't usually cook at home but i cooked at home yesterday and i had an idea of what i wanted to do i was like i want to cook like a whole fish and i wanted mushrooms so i just went to the store i just found fish found mushrooms and i saw okras and I bought them, and I don't normally cook uh, with okra, but I did uh, <laughs> yesterday, and I, I sort of like fried them, a shallow pan fry, and I took out the seeds, and I put the seeds over baked sweet potatoes, and I had that with fried fish and uh, pureed beets, okra, and um, baked mushrooms. So yeah, maybe okra would feature in a, in a dish for a fella, but my cooking is, is intuitive, so I don't plan it much. I just keep building on what I've done before and look to what is in front of me and I put all those things together to make something. I love that. And also, uh, I was going to say, it sounds like maybe you're feeling homesick, but actually when you said that your cooking is intuitive, it's just a continuum, isn't it? I mean, th- those mm-hmm. two, a fried fish or a fried okra, shallow pan fried okra and a full fish, that's very Detroit. And it's also very Nigerian. So what I just really am so infatuated by with you, and I have been doing just a little bit of real trolling around, checking you out, because all the touch points that you're making speak so deeply to me at the soul level. And I think, again, without getting too philosophical, 
to, to use the medium of food intuitively to address issues of culture, race, place, city, urban, suburban, community, that is such a brilliant tool. And then to be able to do that with the perspective of an intercontinental African. For me, those are like the perfect ingredients. It wouldn't matter what you actually put in that pan. I think this is true for everybody, that we hold things and we process things and we work on things in certain parts of our minds and our spirits that are closed off to our conscious reality, but they come out. And when they come out, they are, in fact, fully baked. So actually, okay, let's stop trying to run away from the philosophy. Let's keep with it, because I was going to say, <laughs> I mean, really, you know, I was going to say you actually are a political activist using food as a tool. But then as you're speaking, I'm hearing, no, actually, you're an artist using food as the tool. And really, that takes us right back again to Fela. A radical is he who has no sense, fights without reason. I have a reason. I am authentic. Yes, that's what I am. Right, right, it is. It is. And at the same time, it's not too. Because <laughs> when you're just frying up some fish and some okra, then that's all people are, are, are focusing on. Uh-huh. And then your fish has to be uh-huh. amazing. Um, but I think, and I don't know yet, but I feel that all the work that I'm doing, I'm doing it for a future that would have this work and experience be relevant in Africa in Nigeria. I mean, it has tremendous value now, but I think it'll have even more value when I'm able to focus it on identifying, highlighting, and trying to solve for issues of disparity on the continent and think about the the, the continent's relationship to particularly like the imperial hegemonic powers, whether it's the historical imperial powers like the United States and, and Europe, yeah. Or contemporary ones like China, or even like the sort of like power dynamics that exist on the continent, you know, between Africans yeah. and the class dynamics, the sort of like tribal dynamics, like those things, I think, are what I want to do. That's where I see my work moving towards. And back to Fela now, you know, Fela who was, I think, in essence, radicalized in America by American racial politics and bringing that back to Africa to talk about how we needed to change, I see a similar trajectory, you yeah, know. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Being here at the bottom of the continent, the southernmost tip, with its recent transition out of an apartheid state, legally, not psychologically, not physically, that is something that we are managing, bringing to light, challenging on an ongoing basis and it cuts across everything and food again is a perfect lens for that yeah because these are the these are the questions that we need to be challenging or thinking about but i think that we take for granted that there's going to be a revolution that if things get bad enough that people will 
revolts, whatever that means, in, in whatever form. But I think what is true or what is truer is that the status quo continues to strangle more and more people, even as fewer and fewer people enjoy tremendous privilege. Yeah. And there is, like, what is insidious about that is on both sides is that it's normalized along the spectrum, whether you're being strangled or whether you're enjoying all the benefits of clean air at the expense of other people or the benefits of food at the expense of other people, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. We have to bring the protest or bring the art or bring the message into non-conventional spaces. Spaces like sports, spaces like food, spaces like entertainment. And so I think to your point, food, water, the transportation of food and water, space and place like homes, all of these things that are a part of this system that has created disparity or that reflect disparity, but we don't interrogate because they have been normalized. Yeah, they yeah. become the sites of the utmost importance when we're talking about disrupting that system. And so I have just happened to choose food because it somehow came to me through luck and work. It just, I, I happened into food. It just happened that food is this thing that, again, that we can use in such a interesting way and that we can keep using because people keep eating and people keep coming together over food. Recently, Tunde hosted an experiential dinner project called Hot Chicken Shit in response to local issues in the city of Nashville, Tennessee, surrounding gentrification, cultural appropriation, wealth, and land expropriation. That temporary public art exhibition was called Build Better Tables. What makes what you're doing with Hot Chicken Shit different? The truth about the experiences that I'm trying to create are for them to be transformative. But that transformation doesn't look the same to different people. Yeah. And so somebody can come there and be completely angry. Somebody can come there and be completely bored. Someone can, can come there and be enlightened and have the most beatific experience. Somebody can come there and just think that is bullshit. In my mind, all the spectrum of all of that is what I want. I want all of that. I want people to be completely unimpressed with whatever is happening in them like, and think this is just an ordinary dinner with people talking about race or immigration and there's nothing special here. I want people also to think this is the most special thing in their lives. But that whole spectrum is what I'm trying to cultivate. And really, I'm, I'm, creating, I'm creating these spaces for myself so I can learn. Yeah. So I can make all these inductive statements about the world and reality so that I can see in a dinner when two people are talking about something that that represents something larger, right? And it's something bigger than what is happening in the room. The power dynamic in that space also reflects like a larger power dynamic that I want to keep learning about, but I want to keep commenting on through my dinners and through my writing. And so maybe that's what makes my dinner different. I'm not looking for a unified experience. I'm not looking to get everybody to come there and be happy or be sad or be terrified. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a breath of experience in the space. And I'm saying this as a truth that I, that I practice, but also as uh, an affirmation that I want to keep um, cultivating. Because I think that to the extent that we get 
that we understand that people who are not part of a dominant group, that their experiences are in fact reflective of the world, then we're creating space for more people, right? If you have, say, somebody who's an immigrant, a woman, black, her experiences have meaning in yeah. the wider world, then she has meaning in, in, in the wider world. So I am, I write from the vantage point of my experiences and I try to impose my ideas on the world so that I can move more freely, so that people like me can move more freely. Sorry, I know I'm answering your questions in the most like vague way. I don't really feel um, that but, it's vague. I think it's giving a very large container to something very specific and it's, it's a good thing. If you look at... What, what do dietitians say and, and all the people who are really concerned about our health and wellness? While you eat, you must contemplate what you're eating. That is most healthy. Mm. But in actual fact, if before you start to eat, you contemplate why, who, where, what you're eating, I think that is much more rich and uh, digesting those truths is much more fulfilling and much more contributing to our health and wellness. And it sounds to me like these are the same places that your thoughts and ideas and feelings are coming from. But I, yeah. mean, I mean, really, you know, I mean, it's not just like we could go back to 1968 and then hand you a placard and some posters and postcards to hand out on the street, but it's a different time. It's a different place. So to mm -hmm. be able to imbue your food with that consciousness and then create the container for people to have that exchange while consuming. I mean, you can't get more holistic than that. Philosophical, metaphysical, physical, it's all in there. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for saying that. I appreciate it. I read something that you wrote, which had a quote in it where you said, I think it was in relation to what your, it was a memory thrown back to your father's cooking. And you said something like food eaten in secret tastes the best. And it sounds like everything that you're doing is exactly the opposite. You are ensuring that this food is eaten and is exposed and is actually got a story and a, a, to tell and will be carried on. What is it about your dad that actually helped inspire you to do this work? I wasn't expecting that question. I think that my parents are so significant in my life, but in a weird way. Like I was, I left home when I was 16. I've only seen my dad once in that time. So I'm 35 now, so this 19, 18, 19 years. He only visited once for like a month or so. We talk often, like I text him on WhatsApp and we also speak on the phone. Yeah. My mom, I've, I've seen more. I've seen my mom like three times. She's come here, made three visits here, but I haven't seen her since I was 25. So I haven't seen her in 10 years. I haven't seen my dad physically in like, I think 15 years. Wow. Um, but people used to ask me, do you miss your family? Do you miss home? And I always said no, because I didn't understand what being homesick meant. I was always around the other family, like my siblings, my aunt, my uncle, friends. But what, what would keep happening is that I, I used to, I would write these poems and all my poems would be about my parents. And it'd be about home. That question about my dad is an interesting one. My dad is a great cook. And every Sunday growing up, he used to make these like epic brunches and breakfasts. He would just like cook for hours after church. 
and we would all eat together and that was like a huge in my memory and i think at the time a huge part of my understanding of the power of food and how food was transformative because normally my my dad was stern and the disciplinarian but on those days on those Sundays when he decided to cook and share his food and his his cooking with the family he was transformed into somebody who would be singing in the kitchen he was playful uh engaging with us so yeah my dad sort of like stands as an example of for me the transformative power of food my mother always cooked and she always did that and so my mother was always special in that way and my dad it was a a sunday affair that's beautiful really beautiful yeah. tunde thank you for sharing that piece of your home and memory and lineage with me i i really appreciate it thank you thank yeah. you This episode was supported by the American Corner in Cape Town with sound designed by Origin Audio and brought to you by Lidaflora African Botanicals and Sourcing. You can find us at lidaflora.com. What can we find for you? Catch us bi-monthly on your favorite pod feeds. I'm Yolanda Busby and you're listening to Be There Do That.